Um, so when I was praying for you guys, I was like, oh, Lord, what do I, what do I share to 24-7 Global? What do I say, share to this house? I actually honestly said to Connor, bro, I don't know if I can contribute anything. I don't know if this, you know. Um, because when I prayed for you, I just, the vision that I get is this Ephesus church in Acts 19 that's just burning for Jesus. That's just experiencing revival. Just people are coming in. People are wild. You know, you've got people that are in witchcraft, and you've got people that are in idolatry, and they're just selling everything and just laying everything down so that they can be a part of this gospel and be a part of this good news. And this is what I see the moment that I pray for, for you guys. And, and, and in that, I realized that over that time, Paul actually wrote a letter to that church. So I was like, okay, Lord, what do you say? What do you say to the church that's in revival? Honestly, what do you, what do you say to the church that's experiencing it? You know, revival doesn't happen without Jesus. So Jesus is there. Revival is happening. What do you say to the church that, that, that's in revival? And I just get to this prayer where Paul is, is praying for the Ephesians, and he says that, that the Lord would give you a spirit of wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of him. And I go like, wow. So this is what Paul is saying. To this church that's in revival, there's more. There's more of Jesus. Just, you guys think you've experienced everything? No, no, no. There's, there's more of Jesus that he's inviting you into. And, and that's what I want to do this morning. I want to come and say that, that there's more of Jesus. I want to invite you into this more of who he is. I say to my church uh, so many times, I say it will take us forever and a day to exhaust the beauty of Jesus. And otherwise, it's not going to happen because there isn't another day after it, okay? His beauty is so amazing. Every time he opens up his veil, every time he manifests heaven, he's just holy, holy, holy. You know, there's just constant worship just because of who he is, how beautiful he is, how, how magnificent he is. And, and, and that's what we're inviting you guys into. That's what the Holy Spirit is inviting you guys into, is, is just into more of His beauty, more of His splendor, more of His glory, more of His heart, more of His desires. And this is what I, this is what I see. The moment that we see the desires of Jesus, there's a, there's a split. You get, you get people that do what Jesus tells them to do which is glorious because, you know, Jesus' love language is obedience. So we need to be there. We need to be obedient to what Jesus is saying. So you get those people. And then you get the other wild people. It's the people that Jesus didn't tell them to do it, but they've seen the desire, and they just go after it. They don't, he doesn't need to tell them. I'm feeling the Lord. He doesn't need to tell them. He doesn't need to awaken this. They've looked into his heart. They've seen his desires. He doesn't have to ask. He doesn't have to say. He doesn't have to command. He's just like, Lord, I'm so in love with who you are. I'm so captivated by these desires that you have in your heart. I'll just go and I'll do this. You actually see this with David. You know, David starting the tabernacle of David in Zion. He's ministering unto the Lord. Nowhere it says that, that God told him to do that. He had a design, the design of Moses. That's what he should have done. God would have been okay with that because that's the design. But you get this wild king 
looking into the heart of Jesus the whole time, literally, because if you read Psalms, you'll see all these revelations of Jesus. It's crazy. Looking into the heart of Jesus the whole time, and all of a sudden, he's just like, Lord, I see the desire in your heart. This is what I'm going to do. You don't have to ask me. I'm just doing it. The tabernacle of David gets birthed. And that's the thing that Jesus speaks about in John 4. And that's the thing that the disciples speak about in Acts 15. And that's the thing that Jesus is coming back to. And that's what we read in Revelation. The Spirit and the Bride cries out. Just one man looking into, into the heart of Jesus. Him not asking him to do anything, but just doing it. It's glorious. It's just awesome. Ephesus was also the church that lost their first love. You know, they're in this wild revival. So many people are getting saved. I mean, the whole of Asia Manor gets saved in like a time of two years. They're burning, they're seeing miracles, they're seeing His glory, they're in His presence the whole time. And still they lose their first love. Like, how is it possible? You ever thought how this must have felt for, for John writing this message in, in the book of Revelation? Because John was the pastor of that church for a while. He pastored this church, you know, the church of Ephesus. And now the Lord comes and says, oh, they lost their first love, write this letter. Just wonder how it must have felt for them. The guy that laid his head on the, the chest of Jesus, the guy that was known as the beloved, the one that loved Jesus. I mean, he's the guy of, with first love, right? I mean, for some reason, we've, we've given first love a face. We call her Mary of Bethany, Right? We, we, we get this right in the, in the new movement. There's this, there's this language of first love, and, and you can't preach a first love message if you don't ma- mention Mary of Bethany. The problem is, I love Mary of Bethany. Don't get, that's not the problem. The problem is, is that we've got a lot of Marthas that have, that have learned the language of Mary. They've postured their lives, but they haven't postured their hearts. And that's exactly what's, what happened with this Ephesus church. They've, they've postured their lives. The Lord is using them. They're in a time of revival. They're in a time of so many miracles, such a great outpouring, so many people coming into the kingdom. They've postured their lives for this, but they haven't postured their hearts for this. And I want you to get this, guys. The gauge for first love is not miracles. You can't go like, oh, there's miracles in the house. Our first love is right there. My heart is right. I just want to say this. I'm known (laughs) for making people angry, especially the Afrikaans people, because they are so religious. So if I do offend you, I'm so sorry. Okay, I'll I'll let Connor sort me out afterwards. Um, But let me just say this. The gauge for first love is not his presence. There's no revival without His presence. There's no healing without His presence. If there's healing without His presence, then it's not Him healing. So here's this house. They're experiencing revival. They're experiencing His presence. And Jesus comes and He actually thanks them for their work. Hey, 
guys, I've seen your works. Thank you so much. It's amazing. But there's one thing I have against you. You've lost your first love. And we're like, what, Lord? Your presence has been with us the whole time. We've seen your miracles the whole time. We've seen wonders. We've seen healings. We've seen breakthroughs. We've lost our first love. Let me just say this. The, the gauge for losing our first love will never come from us. It'll never come from us. If, if, I go, if anyone comes to me and says, Jan, you've lost your first love, my first response will be no way. There's no way. But when Jesus comes, and he's like, Jan, buddy, I love you so much. You lost your first love, man. Then I know, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm a Martha with the language of Mary. I've, I've done this. I've practiced this. I've lived this out. I've postured my life. I haven't postured my heart. And, and, and please listen. I'm not saying that this is where this house is. But I'm saying that this, this is a warning. This is a... Jesus loves you so much. Jesus loves what, what he's doing in this house so much that he just wants to come and remind you of this simple truth of loving him, of loving him. You know, our, our hearts get pulled away by things so easily. We, we start loving other things so easily. I mean, we experienced that with Leyland. We started loving her so much. It's, it's, it's such a, there's such a pulling in there. I said, you know, I, I felt it with my marriage. I felt it when I started leading a church. I felt it when, I, when the Lord started up opening up doors. There's so many things that you start loving. So there's these pullings the whole time. I wasn't going to share this, but I'm sorry, bro. I just feel the Holy Spirit going in this way. I want to share something with you guys that's really, really tended to my heart. This is my prayer journal. So this is just what happens between me and the Lord. So I, I don't share this. I haven't shared this in my house at our church. Okay? But I feel the Lord wants me to share this this morning. One time... One morning I was busy praying. I'm praying for the nations. I've, I've got this, <clears throat> this map of the world. So, you know, see which nation, pray for the nations. Psalm 2 just gets stirred in my heart, you know, that he's worthy of the nations. It's his inheritance. I've um, got such a, such a big burden and passion for his inheritance that I started a ministry called His Inheritance just for him to receive everything that he's due. Um, and the one morning I was praying for his inheritance. I was praying for, for the nations. And the Holy Spirit came and he spoke this to me. So I'm Afrikaans, but the Holy Spirit speaks to me in English. So interesting fact. Yeah. I don't, don't ask me why. Okay. He says, Jan, many have failed. Many have failed. Over and over I hear the words, here I am, Lord, send me. People cry out for the nations. People have a zeal for the harvest. But over and over, that zeal is quenched. It is lost through the beauty and the glamour of the nations. 
It is lost through the seductive caress of another lover. It is lost by the pulling on the heart from mammon. It is lost because the price is too big to pay. It is lost because the zeal for the nations and for the harvest was was greater than the zeal for me. But then there are those who have not failed. Those who weren't overwhelmed by the beauty of the nations and the caress of other lovers because they, weren't cons- they were consumed by my beauty. Those who stayed steadfast and kept their eyes single. Those who wore humility and kept on renouncing pride. Those who loved me so much that they would never allow distraction from keeping them away from playing a part in my inheritance. Sit with me. Love me. Keep your eyes on me. It's just, there's something about sitting at the feet of that man. We run a prayer house um, there at Presence Church. Uh, We're launching in March, so I'm getting used to it as well. We we have a, a prayer house there, and we were praying for um, the nations the other day, and as I was, oh man, whew, I'm getting emotional. I'm not really an emotional guy. I'm Afrikaans, okay? So you know, <coughs> cowboys don't cry. All right, just a joke. Um, so we were praying, and all of a sudden, Jesus is in front of me, and I look into his fiery eyes, and I see myself, and I see his passion for me. I see his zeal for me, and all of a sudden, as I gaze into his eyes, I see that there's people behind me. I go, what, Lord? I look behind me and there's no one there and I just keep on gazing into his eyes and all of a sudden I see the nations behind me. Like all the people, every tribe, every tongue, I just see, the, see them in his eyes and I just see how the Muslim that doesn't know him and the Buddhist that doesn't know him and the Shinto that doesn't know him or the Hindu that doesn't know him, how he has the same fiery burning love that he has for me, he has for them. And it just wrecked me. And it took me back to the day that I got saved. This year, the 18th of June, 20 years ago, I got saved. I was 19 years old. It was glorious. We were at an AFM church, AGS church. And uh, it was wild, man. I grew up Presbyterian, so super conservative. My parents were super conservative as well. And uh, my friend, I was in a nightclub, working in a nightclub, didn't know the Lord at all. Uh, I was agnostic, believed that he was there, but didn't believe that he wanted to have anything to do with me. And um, yeah, my friend who was with me in matric, we used to be by a stout some. I'm not going to say the things that we did. Walking into this guy one night, and I see that something changed, and he's like, yeah, he met the Lord. I laugh at him. I think that's crazy, bro. He's a sissy. And um, he's like, no, 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 please come, come to youth with me. I'm like, there's no way that I'm going to youth. No, no way. Those people are going to judge me. They're hypocritical. You know, I see some of them at the nightclub drinking, you know. <laughs> and um, anyway, so he's like, no, 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 but there's, there's a pool table and, and there's girls. The moment he said girls, I was like, I'm there. What time does it start? Yeah, the Lord delivered me from deep stuff. And um, 
anyway, so it's on a Friday night. I, I go there, um, really super arrogant, step out of the car. Uh, when, you know, when I, st when I stopped there, step out of the car, got my cigarettes. I light a cigarette just to show these guys who I am, you know. That's, I, I, I wore a Mohawk, bro. It was, it was legit. <laughs> legit Mohawk. Got my Mohawk running, got my cigarette, and all of these sudden, these wild teenagers run to me, and they hug me, and they're like, welcome, we're so glad you're here. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? You know, you're supposed to be afraid of me. You're supposed to be intimidated here, you know, and they just come and love me. Walk into the church, worship starts. First time ever that I experienced charismatic worship, ever. I mean, we were used to psalms and hymns in the Presbyterian. Kids are running around, clapping their hands, raising their hands, praying in tongues, which I didn't know was tongues at that time. I thought there were some weird people from other nations there. And um, that night, a weird pastor comes up. He gives an altar call, speaks about Jesus that I've heard from my parents so many times, but speaks in a, in a different way about him. And all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, and if you want to meet him tonight, then come, come to the front. And he was busy praying, and I was there. I'm still, to this day, I still don't know how I got to the front. And the moment I was there, he just walks up to me. He's on a stage, just walk. He puts his hands on my, on my head. And the moment that he puts his hands on my head, I, I go into a vision, and I see Jesus standing in front of me. Oh, I see, it's just, just his presence in the house, bro. Um, you know, I thought I was saved because of the stories that my parents taught me. <clears throat> that night I looked into the man with fire in his eyes. I didn't even know that he had fiery eyes. I've never read it in the Bible, but here he is in front of me with fire in his eyes. And I look at him, and the moment that I look at him into this, these eyes, I see myself, and I just want to hide because I'm so filthy. I'm so full of sin. I'm, sh I'm ashamed to be in front of him. That's what I feel in that moment. And the next moment, just, just like that, I see myself through his eyes. And the moment that I see myself through his eyes, I see there's no sin. I'm like, what? He doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my wrongdoings. He doesn't see my past. I'm like, Lord, but the thoughts that I had, nothing. He just doesn't see it. He just, I just saw love. That night I realized that God will never convict me of my sin by showing me my sin. Never. He convicts me of my sin by showing me His righteousness. I just see His beauty and I go like, Lord, I'm laying that down. Just, I just see how beautiful he is, how wild he is, how fragrant he is, you know, how he smells. This was actually what I was going to preach about. <laughs> and, and, and the moment that, that, that I see that, I just go like, oh, this stench, I'm just laying that down. I mean, there's no way, you know, I was still drinking, still smoking, still swearing. I just laid it down, just because this man, singing it in the prayer room, just, just one look. Everything changes. I'm captivated. I'll never be the same. I can testify of that. 20 years ago, my life has never been the same again. I met this wild man called Jesus with fire in his eyes. And my life will never be the same again. 
And the awesome thing is, is that's who you're hosting in this place. That's who you're going after. And in that, guys, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is probably, probably weird, but I'm going to say it. You guys, the worship has such an apostolic anointing on it. And I know you might say, well, where's that in the Bible? I don't know. Yeah. This is what I feel in my heart. There's an apostolic anointing on, on the worship. What do, I, what do I mean with that? You know, that, the apostolic, uh, one of the, the things that the apostolic had to do was to change the infrastructure of a town so that when Caesar goes in there, it feels like Rome. And that's what I experience you guys are doing with the worship. That's why I'm saying there's such an apostolic anointing on the worship. The worship is released in this place, and it just makes him feel welcome. He just wants to respond. He looks at it, and he just he can't but respond when he walks into this place because it's like heaven on earth for him. So thank you. Thank you for how you guys worship him. Thank you for how you guys cultivate that. You love him so well. Man, I love this house. Honestly, I would have, would have left everything and come here and joined this house if you guys were in Cape Town. Um, <laughs> I'm just joking. Nothing, nothing against Joburg except that it's really busy and crazy and wild and fortunes get stolen. I drive a fortuner. So every time I walk in, I drive into Joburg, I'm just like the blood of Jesus over this car. You protected you know, against Joburg. And Jesus. No, I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, just, I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay. Uh, I said a lot. I just want to finish with, with this. I was going to give you guys a massive teaching on Jesus' robe. Um, I think you, you've probably read it before. I know you have because I've listened to your sermons, and he read this not long ago, Isaiah 60 verse, verse 1. Isaiah 60 verse 1 where it speaks about the, the train of his robe that filled the temple. Um, it's so awesome that the, the word filled there is the, the Hebrew word malay mala, which means continues to fill. So Isaiah has this vision in the year that Uzziah died, a king died. So Uzziah, Uzziah wasn't a, a very great king. Um, he didn't remove the high places. And it's so awesome that when the king died, he saw the king. This king needs to die so that I can see the king. So Isaiah sees the king high and exalted, sitting on a throne, and the train of his robe fills the temple, and um, it keep, keeps on filling. It just continues filling. Just picture that for a moment. It's wild to think about this. So just quickly, I just want to summarize this quickly, okay? In the Old Testament, there was this, what's a gebruik? There was a gebruik, custom. Yes, thanks. There was this custom that when you defeat a king, you cut a piece of his robe and you add it to your robe. So the moment that that king enters into the, a place, his robe, the length of his robe speaks about his victories. So when Isaiah says that the robe continues filling, it just speaks of the victories of Jesus, keeping on filling this place, Okay. So, so just picture this. In Mark 5, there's this woman that has blood flow. And she goes and she grabs the hem of his garment and she gets healed. What happened? 
she tapped into the victories of Jesus when she touched his garment, okay? And she just gets healed right there. At the cross, Matthew 27, they are casting lots for his clothes, casting lots for his garments. So, so quickly picture this, okay? On the cross in Calvary, the fullness of the darkness, the fullness of hell's forces, Satan and, and, and all his mates, okay? The fullness, everything that hell could bring against Jesus was against him on the cross. And all of a sudden, he's hanging on this cross, and the people come, and they cast lots for his garments, thinking that they've won. They've beaten this king. So they want to take his garments as omens for themselves, you know, because we've won. We've got the victory. And even Satan th thought that. I mean, Paul says that in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8 or 2 Corinthians 2 verse 8. Paul says that, that if Satan knew the plans, he would have never crucified Jesus. Okay, so picture this. He's on the cross. He cries out, shouts his last words, it is finished, blows his, his breath, okay, gives birth to the church, and all of a sudden, he's going into the depths of hell. Okay? Uh, this, is, this is how I, I picture it. Okay? So prank is means. This is how I picture it. There's a party in hell because they think they've won. It's wild. Satan and, and all the principalities and all the powers and, and you name it, they're in hell, they're partying, like, yeah, we got him. The seed that was prophesied in, in Genesis 3, we finally killed him. We finally got the seed. We finally got this promise. We're going to rule and reign forever. They have this amazing party, and then all of a sudden, Jesus walks in. But he doesn't walk in like anyone else does, because he's the light of the world. And he's the life and the resurrection. And he walks into this place, and the moment that he walks into this place, I just hear the of the DJ, and everyone just staring at him, and all of a the sudden, they just realize that, oh my gosh, we just played our cards into the hands of the king. We, we didn't win, he won, okay? And Jesus makes an announcement, according to 1 Peter, makes an announcement, he takes the keys. Three days after that, he walks out of there, and he's raised to life, and he gets a new garment. Revela Revelation 19 speaks about this. Revelation 19 says that he has a robe that is dipped in blood. Okay? Where, where does this blood come from? From the cross, right? His robe is dipped in blood. This is the same robe that's filling the temple. Okay, okay. so back to Psalms. Psalm 45, one of, my, one of my favorite psalms, okay? Did you know that you can remove the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? You can remove the four Gospels, and you will find, still find every single detail of the Gospels in the Psalms, okay? The, the prophecy of his birth, the prophecies of how he's going to live, the prophecies of his, his crucifixion, the prophecies of him going into hell, the prophecies of him being raised, the prophecies of him coming back the second time, everything in the Psalms, okay? So in, in Psalm 45, verse 8, listen to this. It says, All your garments 
are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Now that, I know that sounds weird, but go back to Revelation 19. It says that his robe was dipped in blood, right? And then in Psalm 45, it actually says that it has a smell. So it's interesting, myrrh and cassia, um, the way that you harvest it is through cutting it. You cut the tree, it bleeds, and you get a fragrance. Aloes, you need to shed it, like a, so a rasper, eh? a grater, is that right? Grating it, and then it comes off, and then it releases a, a fragrance. What happened to Jesus while he was on the cross? So the blood of Jesus actually has an aroma. The moment that he walks into this place, it actually has an aroma. It smells like something. You know what myrrh smells like? You know what gasha smells like? You know what aloes smell like? That's what Jesus will smell like when he walks into the room. That's what he carries. His robe carries that. That's what you can smell when you're with him. Who he is. Okay? All right, listen to this. So I said that the custom was to cut the garments of the king, add it to your garments, and that's why Jesus has this amazing train. Let's keep on filling all of his victories. So who are the kings that he conquered? This is the last verse, then I'm finished. Okay. Revelation, I lied to you, I'm sorry. We lie so much from the pulpit. This is my second last verse. Okay. Revelation 1, verse 5. Let's start with verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. That's the kings that he has conquered. And here it says who the kings are. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins and his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Who are these kings? We are. Let, let Let me say this to you. That the victory of your heart is a part of his robe. The victory of your heart is a part of, of, of his garment that's filling the temple. Who are, the people, who are these people filling the temple? It's the kings. It's the people that he's conquered. It's us, me and you and all the nations. It's, it's the people that he's conquered that's filling up the temple. And as we're filling up the temple because that's where he is, there's a scent being released. It's a proclamation of all, his, all of his victories that he's, that he's had. And let me tell you this. There's some, some awesome and amazing victories that the Lord has had. You guys are a part of that story. It's evident in that. And then there's some awesome and amazing victories that are still coming. You know how awesome those victories are going to be when Islam is no more? Come on. You think that's too hard for our king? You know how awesome victory is going to be when Buddhism is no more? You think that's too hard for our king? You think how awesome victory is going to be when the 3.2 billion people in the 1040 window are all a part of his garment? 
and we keep on filling the temple. <laughs> Come on. Last, last verse. 2 Corinthians 2.15. I'm reading in the Passion. We have become the unmistakable aroma of the victory of the anointed one to God. We have become the unmistakable aroma of the victory of the anointed one to God. A perfume of life to those being saved and the odor of death to those who are perishing. So 24-7 church, global, you're a part of his robe. You're a part of his victories. And God wants to use you to play a part in reaching the others playing a part in the other victories, playing a part in, in reaching the other kings so that he can make us a king and a priest for his glory, for his name's sake, and not for our own. You know, the difference is we're building his kingdom when we're a king made by him, we're building his kingdom. When we're our own kings, we're building our own kingdom, our own desires, our own ambitions, our own things. Okay, let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we don't want to be caught up in the language of first love. We don't want to posture our lives, Lord. We want to posture our hearts to you. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and minister to our hearts. Gabe said it last night so beautifully. He said, we can't even love you without you, Lord. We need you. We need you as high priest to come and fuel the fire. We need you to come and awaken it in our hearts so that we would never be at a place where we would leave or lose our first love. Even though the nations might be attractive, and even though there might be so many things that can pull on our hearts, Lord, we want to be, be stay true to our King, close to your heart, leaning into your desires. Leaning into what is important to you, Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for every single person that's a part of this house. Thank you, Lord, for what you're awakening. Thank you for what you're doing in this house, Lord. Thank you for the fragrance that they are releasing. And thank you for the fragrance that they are carrying as they are living in this, in this city. Moving out in Joburg. Lord, thank you that you want to use this small body to make a huge impact for the King of Kings and the King of Glory. Knowing that their hearts are never for the glory themselves. But always for you, Jesus. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would keep this house at your feet. That you would keep this house gazing upon the one that is beautiful. The one that is worth it. That you would keep this house captivated by your beauty, Lord. 
Lord, I want to thank you that you've put a desire in our hearts to see beauty. That desire is from you. And everywhere we go, we are captivated by a sunset or an amazing flower or something in nature. You've put something in our hearts. There's this intrinsic thing that you've put inside of us. We were made for beauty. Jesus, we were made to gaze at you. We were made to look at you. I pray that you would keep our eyes steadfast. That you would keep our eyes single. I pray that the desires that David had in Psalm 27 would be a desire that is not only quoted, Lord, but lived out. A desire that consumes our hearts. As we spoke earlier, Lord, that it would be part of our DNA and who we are in this house. To dwell in the house of the Lord. To inquire in His temple. To gaze upon the beauty of our Lord. And Lord, I want to thank you that there's so many things that you are going to reveal. So many things that you're going to unveil. Thank you that this house is going into a time of unveiling. That you are going to unveil this church to this city. And Lord, that you are going to keep on unveiling yourself to this church. We honor you for the fact that you have got, you've got a desire, you've got a heart to make yourself known. And Holy Spirit, we know that Jesus is your favorite topic. We pray that you would continue preach Jesus in this place. Continue preaching Jesus from this pulpit. Continue preaching Jesus when people walk into this building, Lord. When people get a part of this family, that Jesus would be preached over and over and over. And that our hearts would never become familiar with who you are, Lord. And that we would never lose our wonder for the King of Kings and the King of Glory. But that our eyes would be captivated and steadfast on the only one worthy to be gazed upon, to be looked upon, Jesus. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would awaken this in this house, awaken it in our hearts, Jesus. That we would love you well, Lord. That we would serve you well, Lord. That we would live for you in such a way that would glorify you over and over and over again. Thank you for marking this house with your presence, Jesus. Thank you for marking this house with your fragrance, Lord. I pray that there would be a manifestation of the fragrance of your garments. I pray that as people walk into this place, even now, Lord, that there would be a manifestation of myrrh, a manifestation of cash and aloes, Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for winning our hearts. Thank you that we get to be a part of your robe, filling the temple. Thank you for the victories, Lord. The victories that you had so that we can have rest. Lord, I just come against striving. Thank you that we never have to strive when we go into your presence. We never have to strive when we come before your feet. We can just be there. Pray for a great awakening of prayer in every heart. 
Or thank you, prayer is the enjoyment of who you are. And I pray that people would start enjoying you every moment, every day. I pray, Lord, that as, as Brother Lawrence had this discipline of feeling and being aware of your presence wherever he goes, may we be aware of your constant whisper. May we be aware of your constant voice, your constant presence, your constant aroma, fragrance around us, Jesus. And use us for your glory. Use us for your name. Thank you, Lord, for what is to come over this house. Thank you for the season that you're leading them into. Thank you for new open doors. Lord, thank you for financial provision for the live streaming. Thank you also, Lord, for bringing those that will help, raising up volunteers. Thank you for people being birthed into the vision of 24-7 Global, Lord, which is the vision of you the DNA of Jesus in this house. Thank you for the leadership of this house, Lord. Thank you for their heart's posture. And Lord, thank you for blessing them. Thank you for blessing them, Lord. I pray for a greater encounter with you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would keep on breaking open the bread of heaven over their lives. I pray for clear vision, clear guidance. And I pray for protection in the Spirit over them in Jesus' name. I honor you for this house, Lord. Honor you for this house, Jesus. I just want to say this last thing before I give over. I really... I really experienced this in my heart. I, I believe, I hope that you guys have heard the teaching of the bridegroom's friend. How it was, let me, let me just recap quickly, five minutes. So in Jesus' day, the custom was that when he was betrothed or any Jewish man was betrothed to his fiancée, that he would go and build a house. And as he goes to build the house, he would not leave his bride to be alone. He would take his best friend and leave the best friend with his bride to be. So that he can tend to her needs, so that he can protect her, and so that he can make sure that her heart stays focused. Jesus went away. You know, John 14 says that he. He went away to build a house. There's many mansions. just want to say this. Jesus didn't say that to signify when he's coming back. He said that to signify for whom he's coming back. He's coming back for his bride. But as the bridegroom is away building the house, like he said in John 14, we got some friends of the bridegroom, making sure that the bride's eyes are, are focused on the bride. Of the bridegroom, sorry. And in many ways, you know, pastors are called in that. But I really believe that this house is called in that. That the Lord is calling this house as a bridegroom's friend. 
to constantly in, invite others to take off their eyes of other lovers and keep their eyes and their hearts steadfast on the bridegroom that's coming back. Gives us such a big responsibility. But there's such an amazing grace in that. So carry that, 24-7 Global, carry that. Be his friend. And make sure that you keep the bride's eyes on him. You know, that the bride doesn't, doesn't lend her eyes to any other lover. Or his heart is not pulled away, her heart's not pulled away to any other lover. But constantly just Jesus, just Jesus. Constantly just Jesus, just be a bridegroom's friend. I'm sure that it, if Ephesus had a bridegroom's friend, Jesus wouldn't have said to them, you have lost your first love. They needed a bridegroom's friend. Be that friend. Bless you.